Well, good morning. You can have a seat. My name is Carmen. I'm one of the staff members here at Daybreak. And as Pastor Rick mentioned, we are in the the final week of the series that we've been working through called Teach Us to Pray. Jesus, teach us to pray. And so far through this series, we've talked about what it means to pray big, and we talked about the Lord's Prayer, and we talked about what it means to engage in challenging or difficult prayers, prayers that are hard to pray. And today we're going to continue the series and kind of wrap it up with learning what it means to pray lasting prayers. And I think this week is kind of a challenge for us because when we're honest, as a culture, patience and long-term thinking is not one of our greatest virtues, right? Like everything moves so fast in our culture and we expect results right away. And we often have very little patience or tolerance for things that don't move quickly or get immediate results. I know like if I click on a video and it doesn't load in 30 seconds or less, even 30 seconds seems like a way too long amount of time to have to wait for that thing to show up. Does anyone else relate to me? Like you just get impatient with the short term or with the long term things, like you want it to come quickly. Is there anything else, any other pet peeves that you guys have about things that just take entirely too long? Anyone? Getting ready for church takes entirely too long because you got to do your hair and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are things that we just don't have patience for, right? Is that why you, you, you shave? So that you can, you, you don't have to waste time on that. It takes, I hear you, I hear you, because this takes way too much time. Consumes me sometimes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm glad that you let me pick on you a little bit that way. But it's true, like we, we get so impatient with anything that takes a, a little bit of time. And I know that for me too, I can also tell you that I'm a good starter and I'm not a really good finisher. Like there's a lot of things that I got all excited about starting, but honestly, I often lack the perseverance to, to see it all the way through to the end. Case in point, my kids' baby books, I have three children My oldest son has this amazing baby book. It was updated monthly. It is all filled in, every detail. I think there's even like a pregnancy journal that comes with it that he's got the whole story leading up. Second son, he has a baby book. It's mostly filled in. The basic details are are in there. Definitely not nearly as um, engaging as the first one. And then there's my daughter, the third one. And the poor little thing... I think I just took the shrink wrap off not too long ago. She's six now. And um, yeah, here's a true story that I'm almost a little embarrassed to admit, but I'm looking at the thing and I I came across it when I was cleaning, (laughs) cleaning out this cabinet. I I was like, oh yeah, she does have a baby bark. And so I find it and I open it up and realize there's nothing. There's nothing filled in because I'm not very good at sticking with the long term. So there's nothing filled in. I'm like, well, I gotta have something to give her someday. So I, I look back through the boys' books, find out, when did they get their first teeth? Because she got hers right around the same time. We're going we're gonna to just jot that in there, that she got hers. I'm like, oh, it's just so pathetic. Good starters, not very good finishers. The sad truth is, in this fast-paced, short-term thinking kind of world that we live in, we lose often a greater perspective. We lose the value of what it means to commit to something long-term and to do something for the long haul. There's a quote in your outline. If you haven't already pulled that out of your program guide, you can do that right now. And at the top, there's a quote in there that says this, not much really lasts anymore. Everything comes with a limited warranty instead of the good old lifetime guarantee. We've lost the art 
of living life for the long haul, and in doing that, so lost a greater perspective on the lasting effects of prayer. I think, unfortunately, this message that we have gotten from our culture, this pattern that we have have woven our way into and expecting immediacy has really worked its way into the way that we pray as well. And sometimes when we think about the idea of lasting prayers, it almost seems daunting to get started because we're just not very good at sticking with something for the long haul. But I believe that learning the art of long-term thinking and developing the perseverance to follow through on that can be life-changing. There's a legend that's told in the Middle East that, that goes something like this. It's a man who comes upon another man who's planting a carob tree, which is a kind of fruit tree. And the first man asked, how long will it take for this tree to bear fruit? The second man replied, 70 years. The first man inquired, are you sure that you will live another 70 years to eat the fruit of this tree? The man replied, perhaps not. However, when I was born into this world, I found many carob trees planted by my father and grandfather. Just as they planted trees for me, I am planting trees for my children and grandchildren so that they will be able to eat the fruit of these trees. Sometimes the long-term investment is worth it, and not because of what it does for us, but because of what it does for those who come after us. And I think sometimes we need to get out of this thinking for what it's going to do for me and think in the long term of like what impact can my life have over the course of time, even if it's not to my immediate benefit. What is the investment that my life can make? And that's what we're going to be talking about today, these lasting prayers that can kind of outlive our lives. It's like planting a tree, and it takes some cultivation, and we may not even see the fruit ourselves in our own life, but maybe we can have an impact on the generations that follow us. Maybe we'll see the fruit ourselves. I know that we'll know the blessing of the cultivation, but we've got to be thinking in terms of this cultivating long-term mentality and investment over the long haul. And so to do that today, we're going to be looking at one of Jesus' lasting prayers, and it comes from John 17. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can flip those open to John chapter 17, because we're going to be looking at this prayer that Jesus prays in this section. And so when we look at, at John 17, we first learn that lasting prayers begin with me. First blank in your outline if you're playing along at home there. Lasting prayers begin with me. And I know it sounds kind of strange to start that way, to say, lasting prayers begin with me because I am the center of the universe and here's the world, or here's me and here's the world and it all revolves around me. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I don't mean that it begins with me like it's all about me and it all hinges on me. But instead, what I mean is that I believe that the extent to which my prayers have a lasting influence is directly related to the work of God inside of me. The extent to which my prayers have a lasting influence is directly related to the work of God inside of me. And as God transforms my heart, my life begins to reflect his heart to the world around me. And that's how Jesus begins this John 17 prayer, which just to give you a little context, was one of the last recorded prayers that Jesus prays before he heads to the cross. Okay, so he's in in the garden, he's praying this prayer. And um, in just a few hours, he's betrayed, he's arrested, he's taken off for trial. So this is one of the last recorded prayers. And this is how he starts in John 17, verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him all authority over people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life 
that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And I just sat on a communion cup, which is left over from last service. (laughs) Never mind. I'm going to move on from there. (laughs) I just sat on Jesus right there. I'm sorry about that. All right, so, but we look at this verse and we see... (laughs) That just distracted me for a second. Um, So we look at this verse, and we see that Jesus is praying, and he's saying, glorify your son. Glorify your son. He's praying for himself. Glorify me. And we see this word glory or glorify pop up in this section a number of times, right? It's like five or six times that it shows up there. And the word glory here, the original Greek word is doxado. And what doxado means is to reflect or reveal the worth of God. So to glorify means to reveal the worth of God. So when Jesus is praying for himself in this passage, he's saying, I want you to glorify me. I want you to reflect your worth through me. He's asking the Father to glorify him. And a lasting prayer begins with that type of attitude, saying, God, I want you to be known through me. I want my life to reflect your glory. That's why a lasting prayer begins with me because it it begins with this internal work of God doing something inside of me that says, I'm going to reflect who you are to the people around me. And I think the truth is that oftentimes our prayers center around more external things than internal things. When we look at what we're praying for, oftentimes we're praying for God to curb our bad behavior or we're praying for God to change a situation. We're praying for essentially that I would perform well and that my life would be comfortable and safe. Often when we're honest, those are the things that we, that we are praying for. And I think about that and I think, wow, I hope that that's not the sum total of my life, <laughs> to perform well and to be safe. I have to imagine that God has something so much bigger for our lives than just performing well and being safe with our lives. I have to imagine that allowing God's glory to be reflected in me has something to do with being drawn out into those places where I can fail colossally and have to trust him to pull me through it. Being drawn into those places that feel like huge risks and they don't feel very safe. But I have to believe this has something to do with God's glory being reflected in me and something bigger than the the small prayers that we pray. Because when I look around at the people that I see leaving legacies with their lives, it's not because they played it safe. It's not because they sat on the sidelines and just followed the rules exactly of the way that they were supposed to, followed, checked off the checkboxes. The people that I see leaving legacies with their lives are people that took huge leaps of faith. And God has to do some cultivating inside of me, kind of like planting the tree, in order to get to that place where his glory can be revealed but we get impatient with the cultivating, don't we? We get impatient with that process. We don't like that process very much. I know when I was a kid, we had this um, garden, and it was this massive garden in our yard, and I hated that garden, I have to be honest. I did not care for that garden one iota because that garden meant so much work. And one of my chores in the summer was to go out and to weed the garden every single day, work in the garden, and I hated it. 
I hated the garden. I hated the work of it. I hated that that was my chore. I hated that my sister enjoyed working in the garden. And so she would go out early and get hers all done and be all happy and singing while she's doing her work. And I'm out there in the hottest part of the day because I'd procrastinated and I'm pulling out these weeds. I hated that the weeds always grew so much more and faster than the plants. Like the vegetables took forever to grow and the weeds were just growing up so quickly. And I, if I had my choice, I would have had like the Jack and the Beanstalks kind of seeds that you put them in one day and the next day they're like grown up to the sky. It's like that would be the kind of, of garden that I would like to plant. Because I had no patience for the cultivating process, the process of getting to the good stuff. But you know what? When the sweet corn came in and it was time for dinner and you could go out to the garden and just pull those ears of corn right off of the stalk and you'd take them in and you'd boil them right away and eat them right off the cob, oh my word, they were amazing. Or when you could go out when strawberries were in season and you could just pluck them right off of the vine pop them right into your mouth, and they were so sweet and so good, and they didn't have any extra junk on top of them. There was nothing like it. There was value in the cultivating process. I may not have enjoyed the process a whole lot, but there's value in the cultivating process, and maturity is teaching me over time that there is a lot of value in things that take time. There's a lot of value in the process, valuable things happen when we take the time to cultivate. And I think sometimes when it comes to prayer, we want to jump right into praying these humongous prayers and seeing God answer them tomorrow. (laughs) We think big, we dream big, and if God just needs to answer them tomorrow, and if he doesn't, we lose patience. Sometimes God answers big prayers really quickly and right away, but in my experience, it seems like most of the time the biggest prayers require a season of cultivation because God needs to do something in me. But I know that that process can feel really long. I used to think that waiting time was wasted time. Had no patience for the the seasons of waiting. And I'll spare you the details, but there was a season in my life that I went through that I just had this longing in my heart for something, and I prayed my brains out for it. And God was not answering my prayer. And it was one of those things that no one else could make it happen. This was one of those things that was up to God alone. I couldn't manipulate or conjole it into happening on my own. Otherwise, honestly, I probably would have tried. But I just had to wait for God to answer this prayer. And I could not understand, like, God, I am praying this for years. I am praying this. And you will not answer. And I was frustrated. And I didn't understand why God wasn't answering. And I kept thinking, you know what? I can't get on with life until this happens. Like, I want to get on to the more important things that my life are going to, that that you want to unfold in my life. I want to get on to those things, and I can't do it. This is wasted time. What is happening? And finally, it began to dawn on me (laughs) that waiting time is not wasted time. It was that season of waiting that God was cultivating something inside of me. There was work he needed to do in me, before he could do for me, before he could do that thing that I was asking him for. He had stuff that he needed to do inside of me. And I began to learn that, wow, there is a lot of good things that can happen in the waiting time. There are a lot of good things that can happen there. And there was so much work that God had to do and so much character development that he wanted to do inside of me 
and he wanted to teach me how to become the person he was asking me to be, regardless of whether my circumstances were what I wanted them to be or not. And today I look back at that season of my life, and I I still view it as one of my harder seasons that I've walked through, and at the same time, I also view it as one of the biggest seasons of character development and growth in me. That waiting time was not wasted time. God was cultivating something different in me, something new. And I like to think that I came out of that season glorifying, reflecting the worth of God just a little bit more with my life than I did before I started it. This is part of the value of lasting prayers. This process of waiting, of enduring, of persevering through these prayers so that God can do in me before God just does for me. That God can do in me so that he can do through me. Lasting prayers begin with me because they connect the interior work that God wants to do with the exterior work that God wants to do through me. When you look at this passage again that we just talked about that Jesus prayed, if you look at verse 4 specifically again, it says this. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you you gave me to do. I've read that many, many times in the past, and I had always presumed that Jesus meant the exterior work. That Jesus is saying, yep, God, I I did all of the tasks that you've asked of me. There's this list of checkboxes of things that, that you wanted me to come and do, and I have checked those off, because that's what work means to me, right? These are the things that you do, the tasks that you perform. And I was pondering that verse this week, and I realized, I think I might be reading that wrong. I think maybe there's a deeper meaning or a different meaning than what I have always presumed. Because it occurred to me for the first time this week that maybe what Jesus is defining as work here isn't the tasks that God had asked him to complete. Because he hadn't gone to the cross yet. It's a pretty big one on the checklist, if you'll pardon me using it that way. But that was a pretty big task that Jesus had been sent to complete, and that wasn't done. And yet Jesus is here saying, I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. So I don't think that he just means the exterior work. I think maybe Jesus is also talking about that interior work. I completed that interior work that you've given me to do, this intimacy with the Father, about learning how to reveal the great worth of my Father, not just through the tasks that I accomplished, but through the person that he was. He completed the work of allowing the Father to cultivate the Son so that he was ready to face what was coming in the next several hours. I kind of wonder if maybe that's what he's talking about here, I've completed the work. I've let you cultivate me so that I am ready to face whatever it is that you have coming for me next. And I think that God is calling us to do the same. These lasting prayers begin with me saying, God, work in me, cultivate in me so that I am ready and prepared for whatever it is that's coming next, what you want to do through me. If we want to pray lasting prayers, if we want legacy prayers that are going to change the world over the long haul, I think it has to begin with God changing us from the inside out. So that's the first part that we see as Jesus engages in this prayer in John 17. But then he moves on from that. He's like, okay, I'm praying for you. And then he also goes into the section where lasting prayers extend to my spiritual family. 
Lasting prayers extend to my spiritual family. So he's praying for himself, and then he turns, and he starts praying for his disciples then. If you look at verse 9, he says this, John 17, 9, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Now, Jesus is really specific here about who he's praying for, right? Like he specifically says, I pray for them. And then he even clarifies, I'm not praying for the world. Like this isn't blanket statement here. I am praying for those that you have given me. He's very specifically saying, these are the ones that you have given. He's recognizing that God has given him specific people. And he's talking about his disciples there, the ones that he has done life with the last few years, that has shared experiences that he's poured into, that he's invested in. This is his spiritual family, in a sense. And why is he praying them for them? For they are yours. So he's recognizing that these are the people that God has given him specifically, and they belong to the Father. They're ones who belong to God. And I think about that, and I think, I wonder if I see the people in my spiritual family the same way. Do I see them the way that Jesus saw them? God has given me a spiritual family. I have a a number of different relationships, and there are a few that God has given me through this church, through my spiritual family, that he's saying, these are the ones that I have given you. They are a gift to you. For whatever reason, in his sovereignty, God has decided that these are the people that I am going to journey through life with. They are a gift, and I also need to see them as a gift that belong to God himself, sons and daughters of the God of the universe. And just as any loving parent sees his child as precious and worth being treated well, and he wants us to treat his children well, in the same way these ones that God has given me are the children of God. I need to see them for who they are, the gift that they are, and the way that I need to be responding to and investing in them just as though they belong to God himself because they do. And when I get that perspective, it changes the fervency in which I pray for my spiritual family. So first, Jesus is saying, I see these men for who they are. I see this family you've given me. And then he prays a couple specific things for them. If you look at verse 11, the second half of verse 11, it says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. So he's saying protect them. So he prays for their protection. But again, I don't know that this just means a physical protection. Because if you think about the disciples and where their lives went after this prayer, it didn't end really well for most of them. Most of the disciples ended up martyred. In some form or another, they were beheaded. They were crucified. They were stoned. They didn't have it easy. And so I don't know that Jesus' prayer is just protection in a physical sense. I'm not sure that, I don't think that when we look at it and we say, well, he must be saying protect them physically, and well, I guess his prayer didn't work. I don't think that's what it means. I don't think Jesus meant, I'm going to pray for them that they have a comfortable life and that they get a good job and they marry a good wife and they earn a good living and maybe they can buy a boat someday, pay their taxes, collect social security, retire at 59 and a half and die. I don't think that's the kind of protection or comfort that he's praying for them. Because this is what he says if you look down just a few more verses in verse 15. He specifies the kind of protection that he's praying for them. My prayer is not that you take them out of this world. My prayer is not that you take them out of this world. This world where Jesus promised you will have trouble. (laughs) 
His intention is not to take them out of this world, but that in the middle of that world, you protect them from the evil one. He's not asking to take them out of the trouble, but to protect them from the evil one in the middle of it. In other words, keep them strong in their spirit. Keep them focused on you. Keep their lives glorifying you, revealing the great worth of the Father. Protect them spiritually. Protect their minds. Protect their hearts so that they can continue to engage in this, this lifelong process of revealing who you are to the world around them. He's saying protect them so that they will be drawn back to you, which then ties into the last thing that Jesus prays for them. If you shoot down to verse 17 and 18, he says, and sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. So Jesus is saying, I want you, I want to see these men for who they are, for who you've given them to me, the gift that they are to me. I want you to protect them spiritually, keep them strong in their spirit, and I want you to sanctify them. And what does that mean to sanctify? It's a big question. It could take a whole day to talk about sanctification and still never really get through all of that. But in a nutshell, for our purposes today, we can say that to be sanctified is to be set apart to God and set apart for God. To be sanctified is to be set apart to God and to be set apart for God. That there's this, again, we're getting back to this idea of this inner work that happens in you so that work can happen through you. And sometimes we want to separate those two, that it's either inner work or outer work. But the truth is when you talk about sanctification, it's, it's a both and kind of thing. You can't separate the two. There's always a connection from the interior to the exterior. And so Jesus is praying, sanctify them. And he has eternity on his mind as he prays for these disciples because he's not only wanting them to be changed, but he wants the world to be changed through them. He wants to be, them to be sanctified so that they can go out and make a difference. This is Jesus' lasting prayer for them. He's looking into the future. He's looking into eternity. And he's saying, this is what I'm praying for these people that you've given me. Protect them from the evil one and sanctify them so that the world can be different through them. And I think, wow, I need to pray for my spiritual family that way. I need to pray for them that I would truly value and see them for who they are, who God has given them them to me, as God has given them to me. I need to, to pray for their protection. I need to pray for their sanctification. Why? So that together we can do something amazing in these legacy-leaving prayers that we journey through together, which is the last part that Jesus talks about as he turns yet one more corner in John 17, and he talks about how lasting prayers touch future generations. They touch future generations. So Jesus prayed for himself. He prayed for his disciple. And then he turns a corner and he says this, starting in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. So my prayer is not just for these disciples, because before he's like, I pray for them, not the world. I'm praying for them. And now he's saying, but not just them. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, this one blows me away when I actually look at it because he says, I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. Who is he talking about there? Who is that? Anyone? Us. Yes. He's talking about us. How do we know 
Jesus because of the message that these men carried forward with their lives. That's how we know Jesus today. And so Jesus, as he's sitting there facing the cross, facing the hardest thing that he ever had to do, he's looking ahead to hundreds of generations in the future saying, I am praying for them. All of those who will ever believe in me because of these men, I am praying for them. As Jesus faced the cross, he knew that generations down the road, there would be this church called Daybreak Church meeting in a building that has pipes exploding in the other room. And and they are on my mind. I want them to carry forward this message. I want them to glorify the Father. I want them to be glorified. As he's facing the cross, he is looking ahead to generations to come. He had a picture of what future generations were going to look like and how his life was going to carry forward to those generations. He had a goal in mind. And I realize that so often I don't live like that. I don't live with the end goal in mind. I get so wrapped up in the stuff that happens in the day-to-day and the tasks that need to be completed today and the things that I need to be responsible to do today and I get my mind focused on just what happens today to get done, that I forget that there is a bigger picture to shoot for. I don't often have a goal, or at least not a really noble goal, (laughs) that extends beyond my immediate day. I saw a um, card that someone posted on Facebook a while back that just made me laugh, and it said this, all these moms are on Pinterest making their own soap and baking their homemade bread, and I'm all like, I took a shower and kept the kids alive. (laughs) And it just made me laugh because it hits a little bit too close to home for me because I realize so often, what's my goal? To take a shower and to keep the kids alive today. There's just so much that's happening right now that I'm not thinking long-term. I'm not thinking past what's happening in my moment today. I'm just getting done right here, what's right here inside of me. And I'm realizing that to pray legacy prayers, to pray lasting prayers, I need to be shooting forward like Jesus did to see how can my life make a difference in the long haul. Sometimes in the midst of the day-to-day, I forget to lift my head long enough to look at the horizon instead of the stuff that's just right in front of me. And I want to do more than just survive the day-to-day. I want to do more than take a shower and keep the kids alive. (laughs) That's a good goal, too. But I want to do more than that. (laughs) I'm hoping I can have both at the same time. But I want to do more than that with my life. I want to make a difference. I read a quote once by an author named Stephen Furtick. He's a pastor and an author. And he said, my vision defines the parameters I live by. That one's worth repeating. My vision defines the parameters I live by. In other words, what I've set my sight on, the goal that I've set my sights on, defines how I live today. And so if I have set my goal on taking a shower and keeping the kids alive, I'm going to be making choices that drive toward that goal. If that's the extent of my goal, I'm going to drive towards that and nothing more. But if I set a goal of letting God make a difference with my life, it's going to change the things that I do in the day in and the day out. I'm going to live differently if I'm shooting for something more than just what's right here. If I have this this picture in mind of what's to come, this picture of how I believe God wants to work through me, it makes a difference in the way that I live out my everyday life. The parameters I live by will be different. 
And I fear that way too often I am far too easily satisfied. I'm far too easily satisfied with the short-term goal, the short-term accomplishment, that I fail to set a big vision for the future, or at least keep my mind set on the big vision for the future. And so I have to ask you that question this morning as well. Do you have a vision beyond taking a shower and keeping the kids alive? (laughs) Do you have something that your life is shooting towards? A dream that God maybe wants to do in you or through you? And do you have your mind set on that? I encourage you to consider what is the long-term goal? What is the, the, the direction of my life that God is calling me to? If you're like me, sometimes you have a little bit of trouble if someone just says, go set a dream for yourself. Like, how do I do that? How do I define that? I have a couple little tips for you this morning of, like, steps that you can take that will um, help you kind of define, like, what is that thing that God is driving me towards? What's this goal that I can have in mind? This comes from a um, a book called The Circle Maker. Um, so if you ever want to look more in-depth into these, you can get a copy of that book. But these are the tips for kind of setting that long-term goal of the thing that God may be calling you to. And the first one, this is bonus material. It's not in your outline. So you're going to have to like jot them down if you, if you want to have them. Um, the first one is start with prayer. You start with prayer. Ask God what he might have in mind for you. Talk to him. Find out what is the thing that you are building me for? What is the direction that you want my life to take? I know you have a purpose for me. Help me understand what it is, this long-term goal, that you can be glorified through me. The second one is check your motives. Check your motives. When you set a goal, is it is your motivation with the kingdom in mind, or is it a selfish motivation? Is it a motivation that just is going to keep you safe and keep you from having to take too big of a risk? Or is it something that's really going to push you forward. What's your motivation behind that goal? Number three, think in categories. If you're like me, sometimes it's hard to just pull a goal out of the thing, thin air. And so if you think in categories, like uh, maybe family goals, like how does God want me to invest long-term in my family? Um, in terms of influence, perhaps, how does God want to influence people through my life? Or experiences, what does God want me to experience? How can those experiences make a difference in the lives of other people? So think in terms of categories. Number four, be specific. You've got to have some way of knowing whether you're working towards your goal. So make sure that you have a specific goal in mind. Not just, I want to influence people. That's good, but how are you going to influence people? How has God built you uniquely to lend influence to people? Number five, write it down. You don't write it down, it disappears. Number six, include others. It's more fun to do it with other people, and it lends some accountability when you include others. Tell them, this is, this is my long-term goal. Ask someone to help you, partner with you, to keep you focused on that thing, to lift your head to the horizon a few times. So include others. Ask them to pray with you or for you through that. Number seven, celebrate along the way. It's one of the keys to a long-term investment is that you need to find points of celebration, of looking back and realizing, we're making progress. Might be a season of waiting, but look what God's doing in me through this. Number eight, dream big. Big dreams make big people. Dream big. Um, Number nine, think long. Think long. If you want to dream till the day you die, you need a dream that's going to take you (laughs) your lifetime to achieve. So think in terms of long term and maybe something even beyond your own life. Maybe you won't ever eat the fruit of it. Maybe your 
big dream is going to impact other people more than yourself. And then finally, number 10, pray hard. Pray hard. Because as you pray hard through the midst of it, it's what keeps you centered on both the interior work and the exterior work that God is doing through you. And I think if you start to set goals with eternity in mind, that they may even outlive your life. I believe that the long-term goals, the dreams that God has given us, and that we bathe in these lasting prayers, that we stay persistent and consistent and persevere with, I believe that they extend from this world into the next one. And I believe that's exactly where Jesus was sitting as he prayed this prayer, this lasting prayer. He prayed with one foot in this world and one foot in the next. He's pouring his heart out in this prayer. He's praying for himself. He's praying for his spiritual family. He's praying for future generations. He's praying for you and I. And what is he praying? When you look at the whole of this prayer, he's praying that the Father would be known through him. He's about to go to the cross. He sits at the pinnacle of the story of redemption as he's praying this prayer. All of creation has been building to this moment. This is a pinnacle moment in all of history, in all of eternity. This is like the the climax of the story. Jesus is sitting here at the climax of the story. All of creation has been waiting for this moment ever since Adam and Eve took the bite of that forbidden fruit and the world became broken and the world became lost and things were broken. All creation has been waiting for this moment of redemption where the lost can be found and the broken can be redeemed, made whole, made new again. And in these last few hours on his earth, as he's sitting there considering the position that he's sitting in, one foot in this world, one foot in the next, his lasting prayer is that you and I would know the Father. And he knows full well that the only way for you and I to know the Father is through him. And as he's praying this prayer, he knows what that's going to cost him. If we're going to know the Father through him, it's going to cost him dearly. It's going to cost him everything. It's going to cost him pain that no human has ever experienced before. But he sits here praying this lasting prayer saying, Father, I want you to be glorified in me. I want them to know you, and I know that that's through me, and I am willing to do what it takes for them to know you. In just a few hours, he's going to be betrayed by a friend. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be put on trial. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be beaten, and he's going to be nailed to a cross. And you have to ask, why did he let it happen? Because his lasting prayer was that the world would know the Father. His lasting prayer was outliving his life. (laughs) And so he let it happen because the world would know the Father through him. He had his mind set on that goal, and it was accomplished through him. We're going to take communion this morning to remember that sacrifice that Jesus made. 
to remember that it was Jesus' body that was broken for us, that it was his blood that was poured out for us. And it's only through those things that we can come to the Father today. It's only through those those things, the broken body and the blood poured out, that we can have these lasting dreams, that our lives can be redeemed, that God can do something redemptive in us and through us. It is only through that sacrifice that he made that we have hope that our lives can make a difference for eternity. Something redeeming in us, something redeeming through us. And so as we take communion today, I ask that you'd pray along with me that Jesus' lasting prayer would continue through us, that the world would continue to see the Father through who we are, that our lives would continue to bring glory to the Father as we remember what Jesus did for us. I'm going to say a prayer. Right after the prayer, there's going to be a song that's playing, and during the song, communion elements will be passed. I want you to just hold on to those um, while they're passed during the song. And at the conclusion of the song, Pastor Sean will come up, and he will lead us through communion and take communion together as we remember that sacrifice that Jesus made through his lasting prayer. So pray with me, please. Jesus, please teach us how to pray lasting prayers. We want the world to know who you are through us. And God, we confess today that we are not always very good at at perseverance. So please do the work that you need to do in us so that you can work through us. We want your glory to be revealed in our lives so that they can make a lasting difference, that we can leave a legacy with our lives that honors you and touches future generations. And Jesus, we thank you today for your lasting prayer, for having us, for having me on your mind as you face the cross. Thank you that because of your lasting prayer, we can know the Father. It's only through you that my life has hope. It's only through you that my life has meaning. So teach me how to pray lasting prayers, how to live out lasting prayers, trusting in the sweetness of your name. We love you. Amen.